0: Welcome to What Is Black Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jacqueline Dujay. And again, we have another great show. So let's get started with the conversation. I'd like to welcome our special guest to this episode of What Is Black Podcast, Dr. Jelan Burton. She's a pediatrician and founder of Healthy Home Pediatrics. And even more importantly, she's also a mom. So welcome, um, Dr. Jelan. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So I'm going to gonna go, I know you asked, we talked earlier, I'm going to call you Dr. J. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, Dr. J, if you can give us um, a brief brief bio, because um, you're, I mean, you're such a dynamic pediatrician, and give us a little bit of
1: information about um, your practice. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, so, yes, I'm a pediatrician um, and a public health advocate. I have, next year, it'll be 15 years of experience um, in working in kids' health. I live in Washington, D.C., and I do house calls for pediatric patients in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. Um, I have a background in primary care, pediatrics, working with children with special needs, youth development, and public health. I went to uh, medical school here at GW, a master's degree in public health from Columbia, uh, and I went to the University of Virginia, Wahoo! To of my uh, fellow Wahoos out there. And after practicing medicine for um, years in academic medicine and in private practice, um, I really knew that I needed to practice uh, in a way that it could be more holistic and more personalized and um, less rushed. And so I founded Healthy Home Pediatrics um, to solve a lot of the problems that parents In my community were experiencing, Um, you know, I want to, I want every family to have one really highly skilled and committed doctor that their children can see. Um, I want when people call their doctor for them to be able to get that doctor, not a triage person, not a nurse, not the front desk. Um, When my patients have appointments, I wanted them to really be not rushed. Um, And I really just didn't believe in the 15 minute appointments that most folks get, even I get, when taking my my kids to the doctor um, so that I can really give my patients a really personalized plan. Um, And so, you know, I wanted to be available when my patients needed me the same day or the next day when they were sick. And so, you know, Healthy Home Pediatrics is is built on the back, is built on the the experiences of our foremothers and forefathers. Um, There's really a larger movement in medicine to recenter the doctor-patient relationship um, so that we can provide exceptional care, um, outstanding primary care to children and young adults, um, and in particular in their home.
0: So you mentioned, um, and I think this, this is one reason why I definitely wanted to speak with you, this, this different take on practicing pediatrics. So you have what's called a house, house call-based pediatric practice. And I was wondering if you could share with us a little bit more about what what that entails. And is it new or has it have
1: doctors been doing um, house calls for for a while? Yeah, so house calls to me just make sense. Um, They're very well suited for busy families, for families with newborns, families with multiple children, working parents. Um, you know, families with children with special uh, or complex medical needs, you name it. Um, You know, one of the fundamental tenets, you know, Dr. Jackie, of medicine is for us to do good and to not do harm. And then with my background in public health, um, a lot of what I was taught in school was to really meet people where they are. And so... You know, when you really look at healthcare delivery, house calls are really the epitome of that. So, um, you know, children spend most of their time at home and at school, and so I really think that um, working with families in their home is going to be an integral part of revolutionizing healthcare. care. Uh, for me, in particular, the insight that I am able to obtain from a one-hour house call versus what I can get in my 15-minute office visit is pretty staggering. Um, thankfully when I was in residency at the University of North Carolina I got to um, do some of my rotations um, shadow nurses and physicians who were doing newborn uh, newborn visits they were doing medically complex children care in their home Um, and then also um, I served as a medical director for one of the DC Medicaid programs and I worked um, with care managers and so when I was establishing my practice, I knew that I had to do house calls so that I could really provide very personalized plans to address the specific needs of each patient, um, each family. And also, you know what I mean? Nobody really wants to take their sick kid across town, fight for parking, you know, um, and I didn't want to pay anybody thousands of dollars for rent either for at least um, as it goes in D.C. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, have doctors been doing house calls? Yes. I mean, it's a historical issue. Um, throughout time, doctors, and midwives have gone directly to where patients are in their homes and in their communities. Um, and in particular, I know, you know, kind of gearing things also towards this conversation about equity uh, and race, I think it's also a health equity issue. Um, wealthy people in this country have always had access to doctors who visit their homes um, and doctors who can spend as much time as they need. I mean, you and I know Beyonce is not taking her kids to the doctor, um, and even White House the White House has doctors who do house calls. Um, so for many doctors, including myself, um, we are really working diligently to make sure that we can provide the highest quality level of services to working people like us. Um, and so through my practice, that is what I offer, um, really high-quality, personalized care um, in the comfort of their home um, at a very affordable monthly price.
0: Which I think is great. You know, we both, again, we both share um we share multiple things. We can check our boxes. We're moms. We're pediatricians, mm-hmm. and we've also worked in public health. And when yeah. you know, when I, my day job is public health, I think a lot of a lot of the um, the basis and background of public health has been on home visiting, more so nursing home visiting. Yeah. So, but I think it's great that you know that that sort of evidence-based practice, you know, we call Mm evidence-based practice things that have been proven to make a difference in terms of health outcomes to then translate it into, you know, this specialty that we don't typically think of as doing house calls because of the way our medical system is set up. I think is, I think it's, I
1: think it's great. Yes. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Now you also, you know, in your introduction, there was, there was definitely an impetus for you to make a difference in terms of the health outcomes in your community as one of the inspirations for developing um, the, the house call business and the home, the, home, the house call um, pediatric practice. So I was mm-hmm. wondering, again, if you could talk a little bit, if you could share a little bit more about what um, what health issues you you hope or you're hoping to address by this type of practice.
1: Yeah, Um, so I did a lot of research um, prior to opening the the practice, um, talking with colleagues. And so, in short, it was really about sustainability for me, um, about recentering the doctor-patient relationship, and really providing convenient, holistic services to busy families. Um, So it was a really complex decision for me. Um, I knew... uh, that I could do so much more with my skills than the hospital and clinic administrators that I worked for would allow. And, you know, I know that they had serious time and financial constraints that were imposed on them by health insurance companies and oversight agencies, but I also knew that my patients deserved more, and I knew that these kind of traditional practices and these office-based tools were just not working when we looked at the health outcomes of our patients and our communities. It's just, it's, it's it's not a good, it's a pretty dismal picture um and then lastly i also looked around at my colleagues and the picture was dismal as well and you know i'm sure you know dr jackie but physician burnout is at an epidemic level and physician suicide is on the rise and so i really had to step back and i knew i owed it to myself and to my family and to my patients to do something different um you know i was inspired by mentors that i had um, who had opened similar practices i was even inspired by mentors who were struggling in private practice and traditional private practices and they were just, you know, sharing their lessons learned. Um, I was also inspired by the Mocha Moms. I know you, you've done a previous episode with the Mocha Moms, um, but, you know, as a support group um, for mothers of color, I really found Mocha Moms very helpful for my own career and my own family life um, because they really pushed entrepreneur- Not, I wouldn't say it pushed entrepreneurship, but they shared entrepreneurship as a way that many mothers um, kind of found Harmony in their lives Um, Work-life balance Is a topic that Folks really talk about A lot um, But I am embracing More of like Work-life harmony So trying to be authentic at work, trying to be authentic at home, Um, and I knew that I just honestly, looking around and doing research, I I didn't seem like I would be able to find that working environment um, in a traditional practice, and so, um, you know, physicians such as myself and my mentors have chosen concierge or what they call direct primary care um, as a way to really recenter the doctor-patient relationship, to push out unnecessary boundary um, burdens, to push out unnecessary Burdens um, that were really imposed um, by insurance companies, hospital systems, clinic administrators, um, you know, to keep their doors open, practices, and employ their staff. Practices often have to schedule 30, 40 visits a day so that their doctors can make it to 20 patients per day. Um, And for doctors such as myself, it just wasn't sustainable. Um, I knew that it wasn't practicing the best medicine we can offer. And oftentimes, you know, my experience is not unique. You know, um, folks are saying it doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel ethical to do it this way. Um, You know, we dedicate our lives to working with people. Not to rush people, not to push medicines, but to really work with people and walk them through the different phases of life. And so um, in doing my research to try to figure out a model that was sustainable and that was centered on the patient, um, I really started reaching out to other colleagues in the area. Um, And through that, I was able to find um, folks who have been doing concierge medicine or direct primary care for two years, ten years. 30 years. Um, I, uh, thankfully was also given the opportunity with the American Academy of Pediatrics. Um, I received a two, about two and a half year fellowship with them. And so I had a lot of dedicated time and mentorship and really looking at practice management, um, physician wellness, burnout prevention. And so when I was selecting what type of model to practice under, um, concierge or direct primary care seemed to be one that was really uh, sustainable, really allowed physicians to do really great work on a small scale, but then also to use my public health skills um, to develop, you know, health programs just for my small little community of patients. Um, So my, my, my whole philosophy is really about providing exceptional Care um, for families um, in a way that's heartwarming um, and in a way that's sustainable for me.
0: Well, that sounds awesome. So, I'd love, mm-hmm. to, love to hear more about some of the programs you're developing or that you have developed for your patients to sort of address um, that health equity and to try to address um, improving health outcomes for your patients.
1: Yeah, so I. Um, I have been in a lot of discussions so the the, the beautiful part about being a small practice and having a small intimate practice is that I can almost develop programs for my groups of patients so I have for example a group of newborns um, in my practice and um, the mothers and the fathers and I are developing programs just so we can start getting the babies out regularly um, exposing them to different educational experiences. Um, I have a group of patients with asthma allergies and I'm really able to target things based upon what I see in the community so my son has asthma, my husband has asthma, um, I have pretty bad allergies so as soon as you know allergy season hits, I start seeing the pollen, I am able to quickly send out an email quickly send out a text message to all of my patients letting them know hey the air quality today is pretty low, everybody make sure you don't forget to do your controller medicine um, and you know please call me, email me, text. me if you need me. Um, And I'm able, I also offer telemedicine opportunities so we can do telemedicine check-ins regularly um, before the season begins to get everybody on a plan to review asthma action plan. So that is one of the wonderful things about having kind of what folks call a micro practice is you're able to develop very intimate programs um, for the folks that you serve because you don't have you know, thousands of patients that are assigned to you that you may not know. Like, I know all of my patients. I know their stories. I know their history. I know their community. Um, you know, even though I practice in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, it's all very close. Um, It's a very small, what we call, like, the DMV uh, within the beltway. It's very small. And so I'm really able to really highlight and target what my patients need um, because I live, you know, 25 minutes away from everyone. So it's been it's been a really wonderful experience. I feel like a small town doctor in a big city. So it's been okay. great.
0: Well, that sounds cool. <laughs> so, Dr. Janet, so Dr. J, I so Dr. I wanted to um, to just circle back. You mentioned telemedicine. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if a lot of a lot of the listeners are familiar with telemedicine, so I just wonder if you could share share briefly what that what that entails, or what. Of course,
1: yeah. of course. So, telemedicine um, is an emerging form of medicine where doctors are able to just be available not just by like in person for visits, but also using video or text or phone um, when folks need you. So um, a common uh, telemedicine visit would be like a child that I know very well because I I do not do telemedicine for folks that I don't know. I think that... there are not a lot of laws around the country yet, kind of establishing what the doctor-patient relationship needs to be. But my standard of care, my best practice, is that I see all of my patients at least twice a year. Um, so that's every six months for a full, detailed physical, um, even for older kids. Um, and so I have recently seen them within the last six months, and it is only to like review, like if a if a kid that I regularly see ends up having a rash and the mom just doesn't know, you know, what this rash is. Can this kid get back to school? Um, it's easier for me to do a video than it is for them to send me a picture. Cause often I, they don't give me the correct angles. I can't kind of see if the kid is like looking toxic. Um, and for those not in medicine, it's toxic. is like, does this kid look sick? Does this kid look tired? Does this kid look dehydrated? And so I can do a quick secure video appointment just to look at the rash and then I can determine, do I need to see this child tomorrow? Do I need to see, do I need to come see this child today? Do I need to see this child tomorrow? Or is just this a regular rash that we're going to keep an eye on? Um, and again, because my practice is intentionally small, I can do very detailed follow up. So I can schedule follow up the next morning to see what the rash looks like, and I can schedule it after, you know, with it in two days um, to see what the rash looks like again to see how the kid is doing. So telemedicine is using video, text. Phone um, to provide additional levels of care to patients when a kind of in-person visit is not necessarily needed um, i know there has been some controversy i've been seeing on a lot of the physician listservs about um, like doctors who don't already have relationships with patients doing telemedicine um, and there have been some um, poor outcomes with folks getting antibiotics more than they need or um you know just getting a level of service that they don't need um, but that is not my model my model is you know, Established patients in my practice that I know well, um, and I offer telemedicine as an additional um, as as an additional service to them. um, That's included in service. Actually, it's not an additional service; it's included in what I do.
0: Oh, that sounds. I mean, that sounds great. I think it sounds like you have a a wide wide variety of options for um, patients Mm -hmm. to um, access you, ask questions, and to do follow ups. Which I think is a lot of. I know I understand a lot of practices don't have or have. Have not started telemedicine, so it's not as as widespread um, as it could be. Like you said, it's an emergent and emerging
1: technology. But yeah, I think it's, yeah, and I, I think, think it's, that's,
0: that's a great opportunity.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's a I think that's a a very real um, again the constraint when you're in a traditional practice is you're you know being paid by the insurance companies, and so it's very difficult for practices that are you know dealing with very thin margins for being able to keep their doors open to provide services that insurance companies don't reimburse for. I don't know any any insurance companies that currently reimburse for telemedicine services, but I know it works. I know my patients like it. I know that it works for me as a provider. And so, you know, part of the reason why a lot of direct primary care and concierge practices are able to offer this is because we're not traditional you know, systems were not traditional practices. Um, so, you know, the insurance companies just haven't haven't quite caught up with that. Um, I think that they will eventually, but a lot of us say our patients' lives are too important for us to wait, you know, for the insurance companies to catch up. So we're just going to do it, you know, kind of separate outside uh, of the traditional system.
0: So, again, thank you for um, sharing details about um, that service. And, as, you know, if patients... You know, people who are listening um, to the podcast. I mean, I think it's also if they have, you know, they have their own provider, they can also possibly check and see if their provider offers that mm-hmm. service or their insurance company offers that service. Um, Definitely, because I, I think it's always good to to kind of know what you don't know, right? And look at mm-hmm. other options. Like you said, you know, especially with the, with an established patient that you work with. You know, there may be a time when, let's say, they they can't they can't make it make it to you, or you can't make it to them for some reason, mm-hmm. right? Just because of scheduling. And then, you, if you're able to do that, you know, via the phone, um, the computer, um, mm-hmm. having a having a check in visit, you can still, you know, make sure that you know that patient or that family um, is doing well, or if they if they have any questions, they can also kind of be reassured by by speaking with you and seeing you.
1: Definitely, definitely, and that is, it's it's usually reassurance. (laughs) Parents usually know what's going on with their kids, and it's just, they just want somebody else to just say, yeah, it's okay. The baby's going to be okay.
0: But I think, but I think that's, maybe some people sometimes don't understand, and I think they do, but they don't, like, because even as pediatricians, right, you're, I think for me, when I, when I had, my kids were younger, and even sometimes now, right, if they have, if they have issues I have to take them, because they're still young enough that they can see the pediatrician. One is aging out pretty soon, but um, even the youngest one, you know, like I may know the diagnosis or my husband might tell me, oh, Jackie, you know what that is, you know, why do you have to take them to the doctor? I'm like, well, like you said, I mm-hmm. think, it's, you know, it is reassurance and it's good to know that, okay, yeah, you're smart too. And you see, you saw the same thing and I'm, I'm not just panicking because, you know, because I'm a mom first and unfortunately, Definitely. I can go from, you know, from zero to panic pretty quickly. Yep, <laughs> I agree. So, and in doing research um, about you dr. J., it was it was definitely apparent that your role as a mom and your commitment to working working within the community were strong strong drivers and passions for you for 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 your practice and I was wondering if you could share a little bit about how being a mom has influenced you um, I think you touched about it, touched on it a little bit, but how that how that's really influenced your practice and then also the important role for you to to be to be in your community and not just you know to be to be part of the community holistically, like you said, and not just you know just just live in your community
1: yeah definitely. um you know being a black mother in in pediatrics um has definitely um influenced my practice um i think um especially um making sure that I'm using my knowledge and my skills to advocate for my deserve my diverse patient populations Has been extremely Extremely important to me um, Building healthy kids Is what I do You know Every single day um, You know I use my skills To make sure That all of us Can provide really safe And healthy environments For children You know Most of the time We get out of kids' way They will figure it out They will be healthy They will do You know What they need to do um, And so part of What my work Has always focused on Is making sure that The home environment Was safe and healthy You know um, That there weren't harmful chemicals no strong smells, making sure we limit um, um, stress, toxic stress, um, and then also intergenerational stress, which we're seeing a lot of kind of evidence of. Um, I've always used my platform as a mom, as a black mom, as a a human being, you know, um, to really advocate for all of us. Um, So being involved in the community is something that I just do. Even last year when I was pregnant with my um, second son on my due date, actually I um, testified at the DC appropriation um, committee um, where they were discussing like the DC public school budgets. Um, and my testimony in particular really focused on having access to safe playgrounds um, and safe play space for children. And then also making sure kids have access to fresh water. Um, my son's school had been broken and outdated, um, water fountains and I'm like, how are kids supposed to run and play if they don't have access to healthy water, you know, just like safe, healthy, cool water. Um, you know, I am deeply committed um, to advocating for all, but also I understand that as a black mother, um, I have additional responsibility to make sure to advocate for people who are underserved, marginalized, and overlooked. In um, and, and my time at the University of Virginia during undergrad, um, one of my favorite mentors um, and favorite deans, um, his name is Dean Turner, he always shared the importance of having a seat at the table so that we could advocate for people who are often left out of decision-making, um, and it's our responsibility to speak up for those who can't. Um, pediatricians, that is what we do. You know, Dr. Jackie, that, that is that is our whole role to advocate for little kids who necess- cannot necessarily advocate for themselves. Um, I remember um, several times vividly during residency where I was the only black doctor on the team I was the only resident who was a parent on the team and I would have to bring up issues that were invisible to other members of my team and I want to be clear I don't think the invisibility of race and gender and class I don't think it was malicious I don't think anybody was intentionally not trying to discuss racial equity or class equity I think it just didn't register with members of our team um, but it still doesn't make it any less important you know um, if anything it makes it more important so I remember in particular several times when I had to speak up about inequities and disparities in treatment. Um, You know, many of us in medicine, many women of color in medicine, we learn early on to make sure we provide supporting evidence. We make sure that we are not emotional, so that we are not labeled. Um, But I remember a few cases in particular um, that happened when I was on the wards um, and I have been reading, you know, evidence that child protective services and social work are called more on poor parents, on more on black parents. Um, they're disproportionately called on single parents um, more than other families. Um, and I witnessed firsthand several cases of medical neglect that were not being reported um, because the families just didn't sit the bill of uh, needing to be referred. And I would bring it up on round. Um, I would specifically share the research that, you know, families such as this are not reported as frequently as, you know, black families or single parents. In, in general, folks were always, I think, very respectful and very honest and able to reflect and then able to do what we needed to do as mandated reporters um, so that we kind of balance things a little bit um, so for me, um, these experiences have really provided me with a vantage point that others just unknowingly sometimes cannot see, um, and I think this is even more of a reason why we have to advocate for diversity in medicine. Um, you know, our nation is very diverse at this point, um, and we really do have to reflect reflect in the medical profession, uh, the demographics of our diverse nation. I think we owe it to our patients, um, to, to reflect them based upon their sex and their gender race, socioeconomic class. We know what the income inequality in this country, um, you know, with, with, with regards to religion, you name it. I think we are all made better. And I think we do a better job of caring for our patients when we, when we reflect that diversity, um, And so the last part of your question was just about talking about, you know, being involved in my community. Um, My family has a framed uh, quote um, in our living room um, by um, an aboriginal art collective um, and it's one of the first things you see when you enter our house and it says, if you have come to help me, you are wasting your time. But if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then come let us work together. And I truly believe that my existence, my health, my well being, I think it's intertwined with the health and the well-being of my partner, of my children, of my patients, my neighbors, my community, uh, in this world. And you know, similar to many scholars, including uh, Marian Wright Edelman, services is the rent that we pay for a living. And I think, I think that holds true. Um, I tell my friends and family all the time, like when they're texting me and asking me questions, and they're like, "I'm so sorry, I don't mean to disturb you." You know, my pediatrician's not awake, and I'm like, "Ah, okay, well, you know, come on over." to my practice I'm awake um, but you know I tell them if I did not spend all this time and all of this money dedicating myself to becoming a phenomenal pediatrician if I can't use that knowledge and those skills to help my family and friends um, so it is my responsibility it is my honor to, to, to use all the things in my head as I tell my friends all of this stuff in my head to help them um, and I, the same goes for my community and my patients and my neighbors
0: all right, so you're you're re you're re energizing my commitment. <laughs> to Yay! Because being, being <laughs> I
1: because
0: I think um, and I think you hit, I mean you hit on some great points, and I got you know like goose pimples. Sometimes you know I like to you know I, I definitely listen to Oprah Winfrey, so I'm like you know she, mm-hmm. and I would jokingly say you know she you know refer to her like oh it's a tweetable moment oh like I could just say like oh you had a whole bunch of tweetable moments. Um, <laughs> And I think it also speaks you know what you're saying like I'm like, okay, she's going to church, she's going to church yeah. is that I think kind of secretly you know one of my one of my wishes is that especially I've had so many um I've had a lot of lot of black um professional women, either doctors, uh, pediatricians or psychologists or educators. And, you know my husband is sometimes say like oh we well, you're gonna have some more men on and and i will but it's like i'm just i'm just so amazed at how mm. many dynamic women of color black women um that i've had the opportunity to speak with and it kind of like secretly it's kind of like well you know i'm hoping that when parents or if if they listen to it with their you know with their you know young adults that there's someone who says that you know Oh, that's what that's what that's what pediatricians do. they're not just you're not you know we're not just you know treating colds that's one aspect, but we do so much more, and I think you speak to what more we can do, like it's social justice, it's health equity mm-hmm. um, you know I can go down go down the list, and I think you speak to that, and even the choice that you've made to have to have the type of pediatric practice that you do mm-hmm. I think also speaks to sort of again. You know your agency, and again affirming what you're saying about the fact that you wanna you wanna you wanna this is what I'm getting from it, right? You know you wanna change that like patient doctor relationship, right? I think the way it is now, we we do have some poor health 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 outcomes. I think because of the the medical system that we have mm-hmm. set up, right? The the quote unquote the traditional medical system, and hopefully you know your your model will be a sort of a revolution and how we can think of different models for that patient-patient physician relationship.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you speak to so many points, and all of these thoughts were going through my head when trying to figure out how to fit in a sustainable and authentic way in medicine. Um, you know, I, I just look around, and I'm, I am I just, you know, me and my friends, i got friends who are pharmacists and doctors. And my husband's a professor, like, and we these social justice um, conversations happen all the time. And so, you know, you look around, and, and I just say to myself, like, there is no good reason Why one of the most scientifically advanced nations in the world, um, a nation that spends more of our gross domestic product than other nations, there's no reason why we cannot have the absolute best health outcomes, right, unless we are doing something fundamentally wrong. Um, I think health disparities are unethical. Um, I think they are unjust. Um, I think it's just wrong, right, to provide these different levels of care based upon what people can afford without providing just for everyone, just a basic level of service and access. Um, You know, I trained here in D.C., and it was evident um, when I was in medical school even about the significant disparities of access. So if you're wealthy and you live in wealthier neighborhoods, let's say in D.C., that would be like upper northwest, um, like Georgetown, right? Right. Um, there are numerous options for high quality private practice medical care, but if you are not wealthy or you live in an underserved neighborhood, um, such as Southeast DC, you just don't have the same access to these high quality private practices for all of these options. Um, you know, I experience it every day in my community. So part of house calls was going to where people were so that I wasn't locked into just being in a wealthy neighborhood where I could get the patients that could, you know, afford the services. Um. Direct primary care or concierge medicine um, is a way to provide, again, this high quality of care to patients, but you have to keep your overhead low. You know, um, you can't have $6,000 or $7,000 rent, see patients, higher staff and still have enough to have a sustainable and viable and thriving business. Um, and so, you know, DPC or direct primary care is a way to do that by keeping the overhead low, you know, um, as I continue to grow and become more financially um stable and my company becomes more sound, um, you know, I do really hope to launch like a bartering system. Um, There are a lot of people in D.C. um, who are doing like bartering so that folks, if they can't afford, you know, financially the fees, if there are other services that they can provide, we can work together. Um, And so that's part of having local medicine, keeping things small, um, keeping things in the community. Um, And I know eventually, um, you know, providing services uh, for free to those in need who are not covered by health insurance and who are not covered, you know, who, who just don't have enough money will also be a definite priority of mine. Um, but today my accountant will not let me do that. <laughs> so that—that that is in the future. But, um, you know, all of these issues, social justice, um, equity, all of these are, are constantly in my mind and my heart when I'm making decisions. Um, So, yeah, then they were definitely um, part of the impetus of of, of establishing my practice.
0: So, Dr. J., can you share a little bit about your experience being a black mother and pediatrician in Washington, D.C.? Where I grew up, by the way, so just shout out to (laughs) D.C.
1: Yes, D.C., D.C. As you know, it is a challenging and complex environment in D.C., but one that I think is beautiful um, and also joyous. So um, I came because I went to medical school here at the George Washington University, and I really fell in love with the region. Um, I delivered my first son during my fourth year of medical school, and so um, I think, first of all, I started out as black woman in medical school, and I um, I think we often feel marginalized, like our story isn't valued. Um, I was always supported by the deans of my medical school and by the staff, and honestly, um, it was really the staff um, that really made me feel like I was at home. It was the janitor and the front desk people, um, they became like the second family to me. They would feed me when I was hungry and hadn't eaten because I was in the library all day, and they would also wake me up uh, when I fell asleep in the library when I was supposed to be studying. (laughs) So um, becoming a mother, I think for me, really made pediatrics real. Um, You know, it wasn't just about what I was reading in my books, what was very black and white, but um, it was really... You know, that additional level of empathy and understanding of what patients were going through. Um, I know I would not be the pediatrician uh, that I am today without being black and being a mom. Um, And health disparities, you know, in that sense are very real, like you can feel them um, because you see them and you live them every day in your daily life. You know, Um, I know in some of your previous episodes you've talked about, you know, raising black sons in the age of Trayvon Martin and just that the feeling you get when you hear those stories, I think it just brings, um, some additional complexity um, and beauty to your practice. Um, so, you know, coming back to D.C., we really wanted our boys to be exposed to, you know, a wide range of black folks because our people are so diverse and we're not monolithic like, you know, mainstream media would have us believe, you know, D.C., you've got the highly successful black folks, to folks working for the city, to folks struggling for jobs, folks on public assistance. You've got people who are first generation from the Caribbean, you know, people who are from the diaspora working for the embassies and. And so D.C. really provides a really good microcosm of diversity, the world, gentrification, class issues, race issues, transportation issues. Um, And so my experiences um, being black and being a mom and pediatrician have just enabled me to take all of those diverse um, understandings um, and experiences and put them into making sure that I advocate for a broad range of families, um, advocate for all different... Families, because all of our issues, you know, are shared. Even though different communities may be experiencing things at disproportionate rates, um, I think it is a challenge, you know, in 2019 to raise a family in a healthy way, in a successful way, in a holistic way. Um, and so, you know, definitely um, being a Black mom in DC has just provided, I think, a really good vantage point uh, for being involved um, in, in kids' health in general.
0: So we. Thank you very much for, for that perspective, and I totally agree. I think had I, you know, I, I there was no other place I grew up, so I grew up in Washington, D.C. I had a black pediatrician. Mm-hmm. My dad went to Howard University, mm-hmm. so and I was on Howard University's campus, you know, just because doing projects, and then the Martin Luther King Library that was down there, so mm-hmm. that, that yep. shaped who I was. It's like, that for me there was no glass ceiling. It was like, you know what, you want to be, be black and be a professional, pick, pick which one, right? And I think mm-hmm. that really did make, did make a difference um, for me growing up. But we talked a yeah. little bit um, about addressing health disparities, mm-hmm. and I know we talked you know, more generally, but I was just wondering, what do you, what do you think you know, that additional role that you have being a pediatrician has played in helping to address or overall addressing health disparities that are affecting black children and families?
1: Yeah, um, this is an issue that is really, really, really um, near and dear to my heart. Um, I think as pediatricians, we must Do more to not only speak about but also to intervene in addressing health disparities. Um, You know, I'm active, very active, and involved with the American Academy of Pediatrics, and I've attended, you know, countless meetings and conference calls, you know, where we review the alarming statistics. um, And the next step is always let's do more research, (laughs) let's advocate with local politicians. Um, And many of us, including myself, are just tired of these methods, um, and we're really getting to the point where we've seen in other fields where people are like, we have got to disrupt this business as usual. Um, We have got to start developing and implementing small-scale programs that really address the needs of our community. It's very difficult, you know, to have some of these big organizations, these big hospital systems, you know, change course and do things, but individual providers can. Um, You know, many providers such as myself, you know, we're not relying on grant funding because that can be pretty fickle. Um, You know, these these large healthcare systems are kind of stifled from by the bureaucracy, um, you know, private practices to open up a brick and mortar private practice, you have to get loans so that you can, you know, outfit your 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 center. Um, but a lot of us are saying, like, we've already got enough school debt; we do not want to add on to this. So, um, I think by providing care on a smaller scale with smaller practices, with local practices, I think many of us are really saying we have to change health care, and it is okay to do that one home at a time. Like, it is, it is okay, and it is valid. Um, I think pediatricians also really have to do a lot to practice in sustainable and authentic ways. Um, you know, as I shared earlier, one of the areas of advocacy for me is advocating for our patients, but it's also advocating for ourselves and our well-being. Um, I think we have got to stop blaming everything on our bosses oh, my boss is evil, oh, my hospital administrators want me to see more patients, oh, these darn insurance companies, Um, they're just ruining my life, well, yeah, we have all of those constraints, but We have a lot of skills and tools that we can use to find ways to meet our patients where they are with the services that they deserve. And so, I think we have a moral obligation to really practice at the top of our abilities and not just what fits in these constraints that are imposed upon us by outside forces. Um, I think the patients deserve it. And also, just as important, I think we as providers deserve it. Um, And I think we, you know, have some of the best and brightest minds, as you hear people say all the time if we put our heads together, you know, we take folks with backgrounds in medicine and public health, folks with business, you know, degrees, I have, um, you know, friends who work in nonprofit sectors, folks who work for for for-profit companies, community accounts. Like if we all pull our resources um, and our experience and our skills together, I think we can really, you know, transform and revolutionize um, what is happening. Um, And I think, again, it is a moral imperative because I do not, want to look back 10 years from now and see that these health disparities that we have have become even worse because unfortunately, I think if we continue to do what we're doing, you know, kids are getting sicker and sicker. People are getting sicker and sicker. Providers are leaving medicine left and right. Um, so we have to come up with innovative, small, local solutions that then can be seeds for change elsewhere. elsewhere. Um, so I think that we've got to stop the talking. I think the talking is good. I think the research is good, but also, like, let's figure it out and let's solve it together. So, you know, I thank you so much for this podcast where you're highlighting so many of the things that need to be shared, Um, and and I just thank you for the opportunity to be able to talk about these things that are very near and dear to, you know, both of our hearts.
0: Oh, it is a a pleasure to, to talk with you and to hear, you know, such passion—the passion that you have—because I think, again, you know, I mentioned this before. I think for me, you know, being a being a pediatrician like you are as well, is just is is beyond what we think it might be. Um, mm-hmm. And you provide such a such a great example of the power. That an individual has, you know, despite, you know, yes, it takes a lot of years of school um, to be a pediatrician. But I think the power, if it's used correctly and used, mm-hmm. you know, for a force of good, and this is what that's what you're doing. I think it's it's inspiring, and hopefully, you know, there'll be other other um, young people who aspire to to do it, and even even us as adults too. Right? We can we can do things differently, uh-huh. like you said. I think there are opportunities to do it because I think we have to. Right we don't we have, have to. the same outcome, then we mm-hmm. do the same thing. If we want a different outcome,
1: yep. then we've got to do things differently. We have to. We have to.
0: This has been, again, a, a great conversation.
1: Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I really, again, I do. I look forward to future conversations and collaboration with you. And, and thank you again for this podcast um, that is just highlighting some very, very important and timely topics.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of What is Black podcast. You can listen to us on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And we're also on social media, so we'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So until next time.